Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Jan Roos. I'm here today with Mitchell Beinecker of the Beinecker Law Firm. And these guys have posted some very consistent growth, close to 70% growth last year, practicing business and estate law based out of New Jersey. So uh, Mitchell, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks, Jan. I appreciate you having me. So um, we kind of went over a high level, but um, I like to dig into sort of the origins. So can you tell us more about how you got to the point where you guys are at today posting such great growth? Sure. I was a sole practitioner after working as general counsel for a financial services company back in 2001, I think. And through some different circumstances, I worked with some attorneys, I took some office space, I moved around, and I moved to Westfield, which is a town that I actually live in. It's not where our office is now, but it's where I live in. And we started growing the firm and we brought in a couple of attorneys. And after a while, we started realizing that we were very good at running the firm and managing the firm and doing the marketing and the billing and everything like that. And there was a lot of attorneys who were smaller practitioners that weren't really good at that kind of stuff. They just wanted to practice law. So we met a few people and that were kind of building their firm in similar ways. And we met some recruiters and we started talking to attorneys that had books of business and that had skills that I didn't necessarily have or the other attorneys didn't necessarily have. So we could expand the service offering to our clients and bring in you know, litigation matters, collection matters, family law matters, handle estate litigation, because even though I'm an estate planning attorney, I don't litigate. And you know, we started building from there. And back in, that was 2009, early 2009, we grew the firm. By 2013 or 14, almost 15, I think, we moved to larger office space to now have room to bring in more attorneys. And we just signed a lease for additional space bringing in more litigators this summer. So that's kind of where we started. So for anyone who's listening, it's kind of one of the things that we see in commonalities with these law firms that are growing really, really fast is that you know the focus on marketing and growing on the firm is absolutely something that's paramount. No one really ends up growing by accident. And what it sounds like you ended up doing, Mitchell, was you know you made the decision and you know it might have been some sort of success that you guys had earlier, or it might have just been a, like a conscious decision. But you know once you guys ended up focusing on marketing, you know there's more than enough lawyers who are just more than happy to just practice the law. So it kind of sounds like acquisition of you know different attorneys with books of business was kind of your primary growth strategy. Is that right? Yeah, that's our primary growth strategy. Yes. And then we do the marketing or some of, yeah, the attorneys do the networking, but we do the marketing and the, the brand advertising, if you will, and the, you know, the ad campaigns and things like that, that the attorneys really weren't doing anyway, because they're too busy trying to make a living running their firms. And, you know, there's a big gap in the market for that kind of stuff at the level that we work at. We're a small firm. Most of our guys are, we look for guys that are doing, you know, three to $500,000 of business. The larger firms want the million dollar producers mostly because their costs are higher and they want, you know, they need more profit. We don't operate that way. So we're able to bring in a guy who a larger firm probably wasn't interested in. And, you know, there's profit in it for us and we can handle his practice and make his life a little bit better and we can all make money together. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, like, uh, it's also good to see that you guys have kind of accessed some part of the market that's not really being, you know, looked after by some of the larger firms. So, you know, the the ability to to kind of take something that no one else is really using and, and make it profitable, it's you know, really the soul of entrepreneurship right there. I want to kind of take us back to the point at which, you know, you're running your solo practice and you kind of figure out that you have this knack for marketing. What were kind of some of the earlier wins that you got? And how did you really realize that this was something that you guys were able to do better than other people? That's a good question. I think that 
a lot of it is lack of attention to detail that lawyers, let's say solo lawyers or small practitioners, they're, they've been trained to practice law. They haven't really gotten any business training. I've always been more of a business person than I am a lawyer. So I always really focused on, okay, you know, what's our business? How do we make this profitable for everybody? And attorneys can come in with us and still make a good living. So I think that we, you know, way back, I don't know how long it was, several years ago, maybe it's more than 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I read a book called The Referral of a Lifetime. It's one of those um, Ken Blanchard series books, you know, like Gung Ho and who stole your cheese and moved your cheese or whatever those books are. <laughs> yeah. And it was a, uh, it was a book that was co-authored. He did a lot of co-authoring with a guy. I forget his name. So the book is all about keeping in touch with your clients. And this was years ago before when I was really in corporate and I was doing a lot of support work and so forth. And it's really, that's exactly what it's about. Building a keep in touch program. And I found that a lot of attorneys are out there, you know, bird dogging business, if you will. They don't really focus on the marketing. So our skill is really in the area of building a keep in touch program, putting things out there. Now, obviously, with social media, it gets easier because you can push messages out without having to do, you know, mailing to 30,000 people or whatever. The corollary to that is obviously there's a lot of noise out there. So, you know, in order to, you know, market and stay relevant to people, I think you got to stay ahead of the curve, which is kind of what you do for a living because it's constantly changing. So for an attorney who has no business training and has gotten no training on how to run their practice and they're doing it by happenstance and, you know, the solo practice is growing every day. The number of solo attorneys is increasing, not decreasing. That it becomes difficult for them to do both things. The practice law, very stressful to manage their firm. And now they start managing a firm and dealing with employees and trying to do business. And they, you know, they pull their hair out in the meantime. So we've gotten very good at the business side of law, focusing on, and we learn new stuff every day, including from you, to continue to, you know, bring business in, in terms of prospecting. But it's not a, what, what do you call it? A flat curve. Right. It's bumps and bruises. It changes. The algorithm changes. Facebook changes, Google changes, you know, emails change. It's hard to email people. They block you out. It's constantly, I just read recently that Facebook's changed their whole thing because all people are complaining they're getting too many ads, but Facebook thrives on ads. So they got a bit of a quandary to satisfy yeah. their users, but still be able to satisfy the people that are, you know, paying for ads. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there'll be changes there too as well. So that's kind of where we fell into it. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, I focus more on the business side of business development and marketing and networking and all that kind of stuff in sales more than I focus on doing the work. I still do plenty of work. I don't find a lot of attorneys that are really good in this area. A lot of the things we see, especially, you know, with the growing contingent of solo practices is that you kind of have this, this weird transitional moment where at some point you have to decide that you want to grow. And uh, that's not for everybody. Some people are more than comfortable running a solo practice until they retire. And you can make a pretty decent living doing that. But right. when you actually make the choice to do it, it comes really tough because, you know, there's this whole, you know, we like to call it sort of like the hero syndrome. So, right. you know, you have to run this law. I mean, like you don't want to kick over a, an important trial to your associate. You don't want to kick over the invoicing to somebody who just got hired. And then, you know, you just go down the line you find out when people end up taking more things on their plate, they're not really allowing themselves to cede control on some level. But the thing is that, you know, the real advantage is uh, to somebody who might be considering this is, is being able to be in the position where you are, which is, you know, doing this stuff to grow the practice. And at the end of the day, if you guys have the case files coming in, you know, you don't have a problem if you have money to solve a problem. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the times it's focus on, on marketing becomes super important. You know, there's two kinds of growth. There's, a, there's the solo practitioner goes out on his own because he's sick of working for a big firm or whatever, or a corporation, and he's growing his practice for him to do the work. 
and has employees to support them and so forth. And then there's growth where you want to, okay, build a group of attorneys to do work that you're not doing all the work yourself. And it's, you know, they're a little different and they both have their own challenges. But I think that the, you know, people have to make the decision as to, you know, which route they're going to go and be careful that they're not, they just don't have a job where they're really, they think they're entrepreneurs, but they're just, it's just a job for them and it's making them crazy. So we chose to go the different route. We chose to bring in attorneys. Our attorneys are all paid on a percentage basis. They're all basically at a partner level, eat what you kill if you will. So we go down that route, they get paid more, but it's at the whim of collections and the business. It's not a salary and it's not good for all attorneys. Sometimes they want some guarantees, but you know, I think that's where you come in, I guess. Right. So um, I want to kind of dig down to a little thing that might be relevant for some of the solos. So, so you mentioned that a lot of the stuff you guys do is essentially, you know, you guys have taken a, a very refined approach to something that a lot of solos are familiar with, which is referrals. So right. would you mind digging in a little bit to the kind of stuff that you guys do differently that somebody who might just be doing the, you know, the B&I grind, whatever it is, right. and how they can kind of take some steps to, you know, standing out in the referral world and, and kind of capitalizing this like you guys have? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I think that it's important that, and it's, you know, when you're starting out young and, or new, let's say you're not necessarily young, but you're out there joining a BNI group, joining a local group, it, all that's important. But I think as you grow, you got to start picking and choosing between the quality of a group, you know, what it's going to do for you, what can you do for the group. And I think some people go to these groups or events or whatever, and they meet people and they think that that's their networking. I think that attorneys have to be cognizant of you know, what their purpose is, why they're there. And I think if they go with that in mind, they'll be better served. I also find that the business development, the relationships, the opportunities to be referred business happens outside of those meetings. So you don't want to say too much. You want to meet people. You want to be personable and then gather their business cards and then follow up, put them on your mailing list, send them an email. Can I add you to our mailing list? Can we grab coffee together one day? I think there might be some synergies between what we do and maybe not even a direct piece of business, just something that you know, something that makes sense in terms of helping each other grow your business. Because it's not always that you and I can do business together, but it's who can I help you do business with and who can you help me do business with? And I think a lot of attorneys kind of miss that when it comes to they're just looking for the next piece of business. And a lot of them spend a lot of their marketing marketing to other attorneys that don't do what they do. And, and you mentioned differentiation. I do think that attorneys have to kind of specialize or concentrate their practice in some sort of an area, especially solo attorneys. I meet these guys and they're they're doing everything under the sun. They're like general practitioners. In today's world, that is very hard and a very dangerous way to practice law, in my opinion. It's not, you know, 50, 80 years ago if you went to the local attorney to handle whatever legal issue you had. There's plenty of legal matters that I can't handle and that I can handle that my partners can't handle and so forth. And that's why we, you know, try and build up networks. But a lot of attorneys don't look outside the world of lawyer, maybe lacks comfort or whatever, to create a system of bringing leads in and referrals and stuff like that. And listen, you and I both know there's no, there's no shortage of information to read or people to talk to. Everybody's got a different opinion about it. So you got to find what fits with you and what, who you trust and you know who seems to know what they're doing. Certainly, I've met a lot of people who don't really understand Google and AdWords like you do and the work that you guys do. But it's not for lack of availability. They could do that and read stuff, but they don't become a student of what they're doing. They're too busy just trying to get their work done. So that's, I think, a big problem. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things that I kind of uh, talked about earlier on the show is this, this whole kind of concept of the referral roller coaster. And you mentioned the two types of growth, which you know I'm totally in agreement with. I mean, the whole issue with a lot of these solos is that, you know, a lot of times you're, you're going out then when networking is the primary channel and you don't have anyone to outsource it to or, you know, work with partners, associates, you name it. The seeds of success kind of, it's it plants the seeds of destruction. So, you know, you end up getting a, a big case, you know, you get a lot of business and then you're, you're out of those meetings. You're not following up with your leads. You're not going right. to finding people that you can connect with in your network. And then, you know, yeah, once the you end up... Process. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's up and down. So at some point there's kind of like, you know, you have to either find a channel that's going to break in terms of the work that's going to be offloaded if you want to keep networking, or, you know, you have to figure out a way that's going to keep bringing in cases that doesn't involve networking and to kind of, um, you know, go to that again. So like, I understand that you guys do quite a bit of email marketing and I think it's really powerful and something that a lot of attorneys overlook because, you know, a lot of the times when people are looking at networking, it's, you know, you're working with anyone that you've met in the last three months and that's who's top of mind. And, you know, it's right. the same for the people that you're, you're, you're networking with, if you know, and it becomes, you know, over time, if you want to do this for 10 or 20 years, like you guys have, you know, you can either have the last three months of people being top of mind and vice versa. Or if you have a system to reach out to these guys to stay top of mind continuously, then, you know, that list ends up growing and growing and growing and growing. So yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about what your guys' strategy was and, and how you guys think about these one to many relationships, email marketing, that kind of stuff. I'll tell you a story. So about two years, uh, several years ago, before we had really implemented the keep in touch program that we have, and it you know, can always use improvement, but I got a call from a client of mine who was a business client and we'd helped them with a lot of financial issues and some potential bankruptcy issues. He had a small franchise. We helped them kind of clean up and close a lot of franchisees and he was in a lot of distress. Calls me after he had worked his plan and solved his tax problems and the business was back on its feet and asked me for a referral to an estate planning attorney. And I said to him, you're kidding me, right? I mean, that's what I do. And that's what I did before I did started doing business work. But that was my fault. That wasn't his fault in terms of my failure to communicate everything that we did because I was too busy just trying to help him deal with his own business issues. So I think that when you're building a program like that and, and the reason that you do those types of things, whether it's email and then following up by posting and social media, whatever, it keeps you top of mind or closer to top of mind for the people that you don't interact with on a regular basis. You know, so people could say, well, when's the last time you heard from your lawyer? Oh, I just heard from him two weeks ago or last week. Well, that's because you got an email. I didn't necessarily call, you know, the person. And I think that some of the noise that you have to deal with when you're dealing with customers, clients, whether you're a lawyer or you're anyone else, is fighting to the top of their mind, like you said, with all the things they have going on in their day and their week and their hour that push you down the list because they got other things to deal with. So at some point, somebody's going to get your email or your contact or information from you or something that you sent them at the right time when there's something that's going on, but you can't anticipate when that time is. So for you to have a list of a hot list of, like you said, 20 or 30 people that you're in contact with, which changes, you're going to lose touch with people over time and something's going to happen in their life and they're going to need some sort of legal services and they're not going to think of you because there's going to be somebody else in front of them. So putting in place those kind of mechanisms, and it's not hard to these days, you know, through some of these email programs, constant contact, MailChimp, so forth, is important. And it's not so difficult once you get it set up. It is difficult to get all your contacts in there to put in the legwork, but we're not talking, you know, months of time. We're talking days to, uh, you know, really get it up and running. So I think that that's probably one of the most important things when it comes to keeping in touch with people is that you can't keep in touch by phone and on your own without having a system in place. Because, I mean, we probably have four, including my guy in New York, 8,000 people on our mailing list. 
You know, I don't know 90% of them. And, you know, we look, we get people unsubscribe every month and we send stuff out. But the guys are always coming and giving me business cards, adding stuff, sending me spreadsheets to upload. And we're, you know, and we're growing that that book. And, and it definitely leads to business. We get calls all the time from people that may be existing clients. Something comes up and they call us. And we may not actually do that, but we can find them somebody who does. Right. And that gives you more value to the network that you guys have. And then, you know, when you're passing those referrals, then they come back to you. Exactly. And in New Jersey, unfortunately, there's no fee sharing on referrals, but with some limited exceptions, but in other states, there are. So So that's really interesting. And one of the things, I mean, I think email marketing is a huge thing that's overlooked by attorneys, like I said, but like, you know, one of the things, and this is kind of an objection that's come up when I've spoken to people about this is a lot of times people say, Hey, I don't want to be that annoying guy in somebody's inbox. I don't want to spam people, all this stuff. And I mean, obviously you guys are getting a huge benefit for this. So I kind of wanted to explore what you, how you guys think about it. Maybe what kind of cadence that you guys use in terms of how often you're keeping in touch with people and and how you kind of are able to, to keep this something that's beneficial without ticking off too many of your subscribers. Yeah, so that's a good point you bring up because we have conversations and arguments about it in the office all the time. I do have some contacts, as a matter of fact, a guy I'm having lunch with today who unsubscribe from our email list, not specifically because we send him too much stuff, because he feels he just gets too much stuff from everybody. Because right. I had a conversation with him about it. I said, hey, you know, why'd you unsubscribe from our list? He goes, oh, I get so much stuff in my inbox. I don't even want to be bothered. I know you. And if I need something, I'll call you. And I talk to him all the time, but I'm sure there are plenty of people that, that do that. So I think that we try and balance that between things that happen in the industry that clients need to know about and doing something on a monthly basis. So we try and cover one area of law a month. But in between those things, if we get an accolade or something happens that people should know about immediately, we'll we'll send it out to people. And at the end of the day, I try not to overthink it. I mean, if, if they're going to unsubscribe, they're probably going to use you for business anyway. I don't know if they should be that cautious about those kind of worries. But there is a way to deal with it, and it does take effort to do it, and we've done it in certain areas. Like We do a lot of healthcare work, so we have segmented our mailing list into different categories. You know, we have financial people, we have legal people, we have healthcare people. I think it's medical, actually. So we just sent out something about healthcare fraud. We only sent it to our medical people. So we weren't sending things that were irrelevant to the rest of the group. But it does beg the question, maybe there's somebody else out there that has a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law who's a doctor and they get some healthcare fraud issue they run into. And they, you know, so sometimes you second guess yourself and it doesn't help you. So I think that in today's day and age, I don't think that, look, they can't send something out every day and they probably shouldn't send something out every week. But you know, every other week, once a month, is probably fine. If they want to really unsubscribe, they'll unsubscribe. You know, and I think the content is important too. If it's junk, just keeping in touch, hey, happy spring, they may just unsubscribe if it's something that's you know relevant and uh, interesting and informative. Then they're probably more likely to stick. So the content I think matters too, not just the frequency. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, ultimately, if the email is something that provides value, you know, they see that Beinecker Law Firm headline in, in their inbox, and they're opening that and they're seeing things that are relevant to their interests. And you know, that's a combination, like you said, of, of you know providing content that's actually valuable, but also you know that segmentation, which may take a little bit of fancy footwork in terms of setting up the technical platforms for email delivery. But right. ultimately, you know, if it results in having more people that are going to end up getting business and less unsubscribed, it can be totally worth it. I think another thing too is that like there's these kind of uh, uh, there's sort of a reluctance to to break a few eggs to make an omelet. You know, this is in law firms as well as you know a lot of other businesses. You know, they kind of have this terrible uh, idea in their head of like, oh, what if this person thinks I'm a jerk? Or you know, what if we send out eight thousand emails and two people think I'm a jerk and unsubscribe? Well, you know, the other thing is that seven thousand nine hundred ninety eight people ended up getting that email, and you might have another couple of case files that month. So you know, at the end of the day, yeah. you know, what's worth it? You know. 
when we bring a new attorney on and we do an announcement, we send it out to our whole list. The attorney's list, he, he may get, you know, 50 unsubscribes because his list is or maybe 100 because his list is stale and he hasn't talked to these people and they got other relationships and so forth. That's difficult for them to deal with. But then we get all kinds of congratulations and, hey, let's get together and let's grab some coffee. And, you know, because you're waking up that whole, you know, you're opening up the stale bread box, so to speak, and you're, you're throwing out all the junk. So to a certain extent, that's, I think that's a good thing. It's like, you know, anyone that you end up losing through that, like you said earlier, it probably wasn't going to retain you as a client anyway. So I definitely agree that, you know, you're catalyzing opportunities with real leads and the people that you end up losing weren't actual opportunities in the first place. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. So, I mean, you guys have scaled up quite a bit. Have you guys run into any sort of unforeseen challenges with adding all these attorneys and and implementing these new things that you, you might not have seen when you started out? Oh yeah. There's no question about it. We First of all, you anticipate the growth of the attorney and trying to get them up and running, but it takes probably 90 to 120 days to see additional revenue from an attorney that comes on board because there's transitional periods. They're finishing up work from their old firm or their old practice. They're getting use of our systems, you know, and they also may have been relying on work from other attorneys. So our guys are getting to know the new guy and, you know, they're starting to grow that. So it doesn't happen overnight when you bring a new attorney on board. They kind of have to get situated. I have to get them onto our keep in touch list. I got to stay after them to get me their first, you know, 250 names to, to get them on the list. So those are probably the biggest challenges as well as, you know, supporting them in terms of uh, yeah, any way they're used to working. So they're used to working a certain way and they got to kind of, will accommodate them to a certain extent, but they got to kind of go with the same program everyone else is on. So yeah. those are probably the biggest challenges that we have. Given that you're spending a lot of your time in sort of the, you know, the managing partner space, like I, I imagine that you guys have some metrics that you look at, like what are kind of the important things that you guys are trying to manage as far as, you know, what's going to really determine somebody's success when you're adding another attorney to the firm? Certainly the area of practice, like does it fit with what we're doing? Is there an opportunity for this person to get other business from other guys in the firm because, you know, he or she didn't, we didn't do that before, let's say. Our most recent acquisition was a family lawyer and we don't do any family law and now we're starting to. And also he does estate litigation and we didn't, we were farming that out as well because we don't do that. So I think that's, that's part of it. Certainly personality is a part of it in terms of, you know, everybody's got to get along and kind of work together and certainly the size of the book of business. So if they're doing, you know, less than a hundred thousand dollars a year, they're a small practitioner. If I have room, I might consider taking them if I felt it was an area that we could grow. But, you know, we take 40 to 45% off the table for overhead and profit and marketing and all that type of stuff, which is probably pretty low. Most firms don't pay out 55, 60% of what comes in. They're probably 50 or less. But if you're a solo practitioner and you're doing even a hundred dollars Twenty-five or $150,000 a year, and you're probably trying to keep as much money as you can. You're operating on a shoestring budget. You have a part-time secretary. You have low rent. You're doing whatever you can do to keep you know, 70 or 80% of your money. So to come here and to take a haircut like that, it's got to work for us and it's got to work for them in terms of their ability to pay their bills and us add to our, our revenue at the same time. So those are probably the, the metrics that we've found that work. So if somebody's doing you know, 200 or more, the numbers work real well for both parties. Or if they're at a firm where they were getting a salary, but they have a book of business and they come here, and if we're paying them 55% of their book, they may be making more money immediately if their book is big enough. So that, those metrics could work too if they're coming from a firm. We've kind of gone through your process, Mitchell. It's been super helpful so far. So as far as your plans for the future going, it's kind of more of the same stuff, full steam ahead, or what are you guys planning to do in the future? Those are good questions, actually. The timing's pretty good. We're in the process of acquiring a small litigation group, maybe two, because we don't do a lot of litigation here, commercial litigation. So 
We already have one coming in. That's why we're taking additional space, and I'm negotiating with another small group. That would double our gross revenue if my numbers are correct. So, And we have the space now. So that is part of our growth strategy, and we're going to continue to grow the areas in which we think are profitable, the collections practice, the family law side, the estate side, even the healthcare side. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. At the same token, we have been exploring creating a I don't know, for lack of a better term, a virtual law division whereby solo practitioners who can't join us because the money they give up is they can't afford it for less of a cost, maybe 10% of their revenue, they could plug into our back office resources and be able to get referrals from the network and we can handle their billing, their collections, their marketing, their websites, all the things that they're neglecting as a sole practitioner. Matter of fact, I see you guys playing a role in this too going forward, but it's in its infancy. And because there there are some things going on in the legal profession that lend itself to that type of a division or company or whatever you're going to call it. You know, there's companies out there that do what you do. There's companies out there that try and sell software to get people to manage their practice, but there's nobody that's kind of doing it all for them. So that's one of the things that we've been kind of toying with and exploring. I mean, there's, there's more than 700,000 solo practitioners in the United States, which is a huge number, and most of them are lost. It definitely seems like a hole in the market that you guys are being able to take advantage of. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. So it's like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is is kind of outside of the realm of practicing law. And it's almost as right. if this, you know, this new plan is is kind of almost a service that you guys are doing. And, you know, while it ends up creating a larger law firm, ultimately, yeah. you know, you guys are thinking very orthogonally in terms of how, you know, you guys are going to end up getting more revenue. And, you know, that's probably why we're going to see you in the law firm 500 in 2018 as well. Let's hope, let's hope so. Yeah, awesome. All right. So Mitchell, what kind of people are you looking to talk to and what's the best place to find you guys online? Our website is bindlaw.com, B-E-I-N-L-A-W.com. It's pretty up to date. I mean, we, we work on it all the time. So there's bios in all of our attorneys and our practice areas and so forth. We'd love to talk to um, a healthcare attorney, an employment law attorney, maybe another family law attorney. Trying to think who else would fit in here. Bankruptcy attorney, if they also have a you know corporate, they can do general corporate work. As bankruptcy is kind of an up and down business too, depending on what's going on in the economy. I mean, I would even talk to another estate planning attorney if they had a, a decent book of business. And they, you know, they really should be doing you know, north of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year for the numbers to work on both sides, because it's got to work for them, not just for us. So if anyone is you know listening to this podcast, looking to reach out, Mitchell's a great guy. <laughs> you've heard of, you've heard of uh, talking about all the stuff that, that's going on. If, if yeah, it's a great opportunity to reach out if anyone wants it. I want to say thanks again. So anyone who is in that solo place, you know, you're working on referrals. Think about stuff like this. How can you take the referrals to the next level? What are you doing differently than the other attorney that's in your practice area that might be in your BNI chapter? How can you take advantage of one-to-many relationships instead of pounding the pavement and you know running on a hamster wheel of referrals every single year? So I think this is super valuable stuff. I have to say, thank you so much for providing this information, Mitchell. You're welcome. And um, so for anyone else that is listening, so we'll have another episode coming up next week. And uh, thanks again for listening to the Case School Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode. 